Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Tortoise. In March 2018, the Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn had come under intense criticism for his attitude towards the Skripal poisonings in Salisbury. The row was still rumbling on when the Labour MP for Liverpool Wavertree, Luciana Berger, received a link to a Facebook comment made by Jeremy Corbyn six years earlier. And I was incandescent about it. And I remember sending a message on WhatsApp before nine o'clock in the morning to the then political secretary for Jeremy Corbyn saying, I've just been sent this. Um, you know, can you explain it? It's horrific. I didn't get a response. I had to follow it up. Um, they said, oh, Jeremy's very busy. We'll come back to you. I got, nothing, got another message saying, oh, he's just too busy. And I remember being in the Royal Hospital. I'd just done a visit in Liverpool. And I got this last message around two o'clock saying, you know, Jeremy Corbyn was too busy. And I, and I just I lost it. And I took to Twitter because I was so incandescent about it, saying that, you know, basically, Jeremy Corbyn was too busy, him and his office too busy to respond to a very clear example of anti-Jewish hatred that he himself had directly been connected to. I'm David Aronovich, and this, from Tortoise, is Eight Years Hard Labour. Episode 4, Jeremy and the Jews. What Berger had seen was a comment which Jeremy Corbyn had left under a picture of a mural by an American artist called Mir One, painted on a wall in East London. The mural had just been painted over at the order of Tower Hamlets Council. Referencing a work by a famous Mexican artist destroyed in the early 30s in New York, Corbyn had written deprecating the council's action and telling Mir One, You are in good company. Rockefeller destroyed Diego Rivera's mural because it includes a picture of Lenin. But Tower Hamlets had objected to Mir One's work because of its depiction of a cabal of exploitative bankers, including obvious anti-Semitic stereotypes. Corbyn's words, not exactly uttered in the distant past, were for many in the Jewish community the last straw. And over the course of that weekend, you then saw the Jewish community organise because it was was just so abhorrent and it was such a clear example of Jeremy Corbyn himself being the perpetrator of supporting anti-Jewish hatred uh, and what you saw was the, the the extraordinary experience of the Jewish community and its allies over a thousand people within the space of a few days organising to stand in front of 
Parliament, in Parliament Square, outside the House of Commons, uh, for the demonstration which was under the banner of Enough is Enough. And I mean, I remember that in the end of that day on that Monday, just kind of reflecting on the day, like I've just stood outside the House of Commons to to demonstrate against my own party who is refusing to acknowledge, let alone tackle, the very serious issue of anti-Jewish hatred within its ranks, following the example of something which lay very squarely at Jeremy Corbyn's door. Tortoise's political editor, Kat Nealon, was in Parliament Square that day. Protests outside Parliament are ten a penny and normally go on unreported by us journalists. But this was different. Firstly, it was not about the human rights abuse in some far-flung destination people were seeking government intervention on. And it wasn't one of the perennial anti-Brexit protests. It was about a real crisis taking place in Labour. Secondly, you had MPs, some very high profile, some rising stars, people like Wes Streeting, Luciana Berger, Margaret Hodge, Liz Kendall, Stephen Kinnock, all in attendance to show solidarity. Some of them were speaking and they were effectively protesting against their own party. Walking through the crowd, speaking to people there, it was apparent that this was no small deal. There were about a thousand or so people. They were very angry, very frustrated. Lots of the protesters had signs saying enough was enough, something had to change. It was also the first time I saw a sign saying for the many, not the Jew, which still strikes me as perhaps one of the most powerful protests using Corbyn's own slogan, for the many, not the few, against him. For half a century, Labour's leaders had all enjoyed good relationships with the Jewish community. So how on earth had this happened? The wing of Labour to which Corbyn belonged contained many seasoned activists who believed that Israel, as a Jewish state founded on Arab land, was illegitimate and that Zionism, the movement for a Jewish state, was a form of racism. Whereas Labour's position had long been to support a two-state solution, part of the left favoured a single Palestinian state for everyone, which in effect meant an Arab majority state. In addition, like many other people, the left was hugely critical of the occupation policies of successive Israeli governments and suspicious of anyone defending Israel. Unsurprisingly, the issue hardly came up during the 2015 leadership election. When it did, Corbyn's vulnerability was palpable. Here he is being quizzed on Channel 4 News about Hamas, the militant group running the Gaza Strip, and Hezbollah, the Iran-backed militia in Lebanon. Let's briefly talk about foreign affairs. Why did you call Hamas and Hezbollah your friends? What I did was spoke at a meeting in which I said I wanted all people involved in the Middle East issue to come together and be able to have a discussion, to be able to well, discuss... You said can, I, can, I, can, I, can you allow me to finish? Uh, well, Do you mind? Yeah, but I asked you a question and you're no. ignoring it. No, I'm not ignoring the question. If you'd give me a minute, I'll answer it. I, the I point is, the point is this. Friends? Listen for a minute, if you don't mind. I spoke at a meeting about the Middle East crisis in Parliament and there were people there from Hezbollah and I said I welcomed our friends from Hezbollah to have a discussion and a debate and I said I wanted Hamas to be part of that debate. Others may not have noticed but leaders of the Jewish community had. Andrew Fisher was Corbyn's head of policy. I would say the first indication that there was attention there was actually during the leadership campaign because the British Board of Deputies wrote to every Labour candidate asking them to sign up to a 10-point kind of 
not policies, but kind of positions and policies, um, a mix of the two, that were of interest to the Jewish community, evidently. The one issue that we couldn't sign up to was opposing boycott, divestment and sanctions on Israel, which isn't an issue for the, in the same way for the Jewish community in a way that, you know, preserving Jewish schools and the right to have religious schools and all that sort of stuff is. And it's clearly an international political issue, and Jeremy's position on that is well known. But the backlash to that, I mean, I thought, okay, fine, we've signed up to nine, they'll be happy with that, they know where Jeremy stands on the other one, so that's not going to be a shock to anyone. My God, the backlash, tiny though it was relative to what came next, but I was just like, wow, this is astonishing, like, this is vitriolic. However, these were small straws in a noisy wind, so much so that Luciana Berger felt she could work under Corbyn. And it was on the eve of Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, uh, a night called Kol Nidre, just before, just before it started, but just before sunset, that I received a call from Jeremy Corbyn asking me to join his shadow cabinet as the first ever shadow cabinet member for mental health. And I had my ringing in my ears, people saying, you know, you just, you know, this guy's not, not a good guy. Uh, and pointing to the things that had happened in the past, I looked at those examples and they were very worrying, but there was nothing concrete. Everything could be explained away. And I wasn't looking for an excuse, but I thought you know, this person's been elected, democratically elected, whether we, you know, it wasn't my candidate, it certainly wasn't the person that I supported, but he is now the leader of the Labour Party. And I'm going to take the considered view that I'm going to give him and his, uh, and, and his people kind of momentum types or people that kind of got involved that way. I'm going to give them a go. And I got a lot of flack for it. And it wasn't a decision that I took lightly. A few months went by. Then, in April 2016, it was revealed that Naz Shah, the Labour MP for Bradford West, had written a Facebook post a couple of years earlier, before she was elected, suggesting that Jewish Israelis relocate en masse to America. Shah was suspended from the party but her apology was subsequently accepted as genuine and she was readmitted. However, not before one of Corbyn's oldest allies had got in on the act. Oh, it's completely over the top. It's not anti-Semitic. I mean, let's remember when Hitler won his election in 1932, his policy then was that Jews should be moved to Israel. He was supporting um, Zionism. His boy went mad and ended up killing six million Jews. The accusation that wartime Zionists had connived with the Nazis at the persecution of the Jews to strengthen the case for a separate Jewish state was an old and discredited far-left trope. And Ken Livingston, the former mayor of London, had form, according to veteran left-wing campaigner John Lansman. I think Ken had a long-standing problem with Jews, basically. I remember things about uh, the Havara Agreement, you know, and Hungary and, you know, the stuff which later led him to make claims about Zionism being in, in, you know, allies of the Nazis or, you know, etc. And uh, so there were problematic things back then. I mean, people were more tolerant. You know, I mean, actually, you know, most people are tolerant up to a point of racism. You can't deal with every bit of racism you encounter. You know, I experienced that as a Jew. I'm not black. Uh, otherwise, I'd, I'm sure I would experience it a great deal more. So there were problems back then. I think they got worse um, when he was mayor. You know, there were incidents of, you know, how Jews didn't vote Labour because they were too wealthy. And, 
you know, I, I ran articles on my blog back, you know, well before 2015. You know, I, t- you know, I was already talking to um, the Jewish labor movement about those kind of issues. I had a relationship with people going back to then about that with Ken. Uh, so Ken was in a way where it started. Ken Livingston never was expelled from Labour. He quit after a two-year suspension. But his words and the storm of both criticism and support it provoked led Corbyn to ask the civil liberties campaigner Shami Chakrabarti to investigate the anti-Semitism problem. Chakrabarti recommended training for Labour members and a proper disciplinary procedure. But at the launch of her report, one of the party's Jewish MPs, Ruth Smith, felt so insulted by a leading Corbyn supporter that she walked out. John Landsman, elected to Labour's NEC that January, tried to make the Chakrabarti process work. And so, you know, I immediately got very involved in trying to sort out a proper uh, disciplinary process because I'd never had any respect for the disciplinary process, which had always been, I make it up as you go along. And, you know, you talk about kind of interfering in decision making. Well, that's all there ever was, you know, until we, we put in place a proper system. And then when you looked at the details, there, you know, some of the people were clearly virulent anti-Semites of the most obvious sort. There were other people whose anti-Semitism was less clear, but their kind of conviction in conspiracy theories, you know, and the relationship between generally accepting conspiracy theories and accepting conspiracy theories about Jews is very close. When in the past, pre-Corbyn, there are examples of conspiracy theorists saying things about Jews, I think sometimes they were ignored because they were seen as coming from a mad fringe. Unfortunately, the mad fringe was quite a serious element of the far left in the Labour Party. The slowness of the process for dealing with that mad fringe was blamed by the Corbynites on a recalcitrant Labour HQ whose employees returned the compliment. And then the mere one story dropped. A story not about the mad fringe, but about the leader himself. So I remember the day very clearly. It was a Friday. It was a constituency day. And I was feeding my then baby very early of a morning. And someone sends me on Twitter a direct message and says, have you seen this? So I open it up and it's Jeremy Corbyn's response to the graffiti artist Mere One in support of him when he has, this graffiti artist, said that his mural is going to be taken down off the walls of Tower Hamlets. And there's an image of his mural and the image is very clearly anti-Jewish, so much so that uh, a council, which isn't a natural ally of the Jewish community, has decided that it must come off the walls of Tower Hamlets. And rather than look at the racism contained within this image, Jeremy Corbyn has sent like a message of solidarity to the graffiti artist, sought to draw some parallels between an experience in the United States with Rockefeller, and I was just like outraged by what I had seen. And I was outraged for a number of different reasons, not only because of the image itself. I remember one of the excuses that later came out by someone that was wheeled out in the press was, oh, well, he didn't see it because he was looking, you know, he, he didn't, he, it was a small image. 
I'd spent a lot of time with Jeremy Corbyn, so I knew that he carried an analogue mobile phone and he was only going to have seen this image on a desktop computer uh, and would have seen the horrors contained within. So I didn't accept that explain away uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, But for me, that was a very, very clear example of where Jeremy Corbyn himself had been directly responsible for supporting anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish hatred. I saw this mural being removed very briefly uh, late at night when I was um, scrolling through Facebook, and maybe it's a bad idea to scroll through Facebook late at night. I saw it, and I was on my mind was the way in which Diego Rivera's murals had been removed in the USA. And I thought, hang on, why are we taking murals down in Tower Hamlets? I, I didn't look at it very closely, that I accept. And so I didn't say I approved of it, I just said, why is it being removed? I then got a message the following morning as to what the objection was, and the then mayor, now mayor again of Tower Hamlets, Dukfar Rahman, asked for its removal. And I said, good, I absolutely support that. I apologise for not looking at it more closely at the time. James Meadway, Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell's advisor, put it down to carelessness and an older generation struggling to navigate social media. The point where it became obvious that this was an issue is that uh, awful mural, the anti-Semitic mural in Tower Hamlets, which Jeremy years ago would like, I'm going to be a bit rude, I suppose, but it's a slightly like, you know, boomer on Facebook leaving a comment and off you go. It's one of those moments. Others were not quite so amused. I think we've got a big problem of anti-Semitism and I wish it was confined to pockets of anti-Semitism. I think the mealy-mouthed statements that we've seen in recent days from Jeremy Corbyn are too little too late. Wes Streeting, who was first elected as MP for Ilford in 2015, was pointing to something that had been going on since the Corbyn leadership began. Veteran Jewish Labour MP Margaret Hodge. Suddenly after 2015, I suddenly started getting anti-Semitic abuse online. And I thought, what the hell is this all about? And I remember it must have been about 2016, going up to Luciana and saying, what the hell's happening? We're getting a massive anti-Semitic abuse. And at that point, she said, well, we're all trying to talk about it and see what we can do about it. Come and join us. So at that point, I, I, I think I've been to the all-party group on anti-Semitism, but I've never been to the Jewish Labour movement, which was the group that brought Jewish uh, Labour MPs and um, peers together. I just started attending. So it was literally from what happened in my inbox that forced me, the anti-Semitism I was reading, that forced me into activities at you. Luciana Berger was experiencing the same thing, but worse. There was two pillars of activity. There was both the things I saw happening within constituency Labour parties around the country. I say that I saw, that I heard were happening. I was very involved in the Jewish Labour movement. And in my last few years in Parliament, I was the parliamentary chair of the Jewish Labour movement and very involved in, in the years preceding that. So... I was connected to other Jewish members who were involved in their constituency parties around the country. And it was it was lots of drips, drip, drip, drip of how people were made to feel unwelcome, how motions would be were brought forward which only targeted or impacted negatively on Jewish members. There was the increasing 
uh, things that were being said in, in Facebook groups. And that was, I think, for me, one of the biggest issues and what I personally brought in my last ever meeting to Jeremy Corbyn at the end of 2017 was a raft of examples of Facebook groups that used his name and the Labour Party's name as their moniker and which were just a cesspit of rampant anti-Semitism. This wasn't just criticism of an Israeli government. This is stuff that beyond doubt like crossed the red line of uh, spouting anti-Jewish hatred, that was talking about the protocols, that was stuff that you kind of would expect to have seen you know, before and around Nazi Germany. This wasn't just a smattering. This was some really, really bad stuff. Where Streeting recalls an anecdote involving Louise Elman, a Jewish Labour MP and Vice Chair of Labour Friends of Israel. Louise Elman was having a particularly difficult time in her constituency, Luciana Berger. They became sort of targets. And what I found so upsetting was that when they spoke up, there was so little support. And, you know, look, I recognise anti-Semitism when it presents itself. I represent a constituency with a significant Jewish population. I've, um, you know, as in, in the National Union of Students, I work closely with the Union of Jewish Students. Um, you know, I, I know how to recognise anti-Semitism. And, um, you know, I could see what was going on and I could see the shortcomings in the response to it. And, yeah, I find it very... Yeah, I found it very depressing. Amongst our sort of critics on the left, and in particular the cranks, you know, you sort of read the the sort of the horrible things they say of, you know, this is all a scam, it's all made up and that sort of nonsense, as if we were sort of enjoying it and... I, it was it was one of the worst periods in my professional life and did not enjoy any part of it it was it was just a horrible horrible period it was in that atmosphere that the enough is enough demonstration was held in parliament square and also what happened to those members of the shadow front bench who sought to support the jewish community and its allies i later found out a few weeks later that there were members of Jeremy Corbyn's team who are standing by the gates of Westminster in front of the demonstration and making a note of those members of the shadow front bench who had attended the rally in support of the Jewish community. And they were then lambasted and pulled into a meeting afterwards to have a go at them for having done so. The consistent line of the leadership had been that the Labour membership was no more infected by anti-Semitism than anyone else in the country. We in the Labour movement will never be complacent about anti-Semitism. We all need to do better. I'm committed to ensuring the Labour Party is a welcoming and secure place for Jewish people. But words say some are not enough. 40 Labour MPs have called for this woman to be suspended from the party. Christine Shawcroft defended a council candidate who posted a picture on social media which claimed the Holocaust was a hoax. Key allies of Corbyn now held the senior positions in the party structure, and one of them, Christine Shawcroft, had that January become head of the party's dispute panel. One of the cases she intervened in was that of a Labour Council candidate in Peterborough, Alan Bull, 
who three years earlier had reposted on Facebook an article claiming that the Holocaust was a hoax. He later claimed that this was to invite discussion and debate. Bull had been suspended pending investigation. Now it turned out that Shawcroft had tried to get his suspension lifted, claiming the case against him had been politically motivated. Shawcroft now resigned. In the House of Commons, the Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, tabled a motion on anti-Semitism. Ruth Smith was one of those who spoke. I must warn the House that my fan base has shown scant regard for appropriate parliamentary language, so I apologise in advance. Hang yourself, you vile, treacherous Zionist Tory filth. You are a cancer of humanity. Ruth Smead is a Zionist. She has no shame and trades on the murder of Jews by Hitler, who the Zionists betrayed. Ruth Smead must surely be travelling first class to Tel Aviv with all that slush. After all, she's complicit in trying to bring Corbyn down. First job for Jeremy Corbyn tomorrow. Expel the Zionist bicom smear hag bitch Ruth Smead from the party. This Ruth Smead is Britannophobic. We need to cleanse our nation of these types. Hashtag JC for PM. Deselect Ruth Smead ASAP. Poke the pig. Get all the Zionist child skiller scum out of Labour. What is so heartbreaking is the concerted effort in some quarters to downplay the problem. For every comment like those you have just heard, you can find ten people ready to dismiss it, yep. to cry smear, to say that we are weaponising anti-Semitism. Yep. 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 Weaponising yep. anti-Semitism. My family came to this country fleeing the pogroms in the 19th century. Of our relatives who stayed in Europe, none survived. We know what anti-Semitism is. We know where it leads. How dare these people suggest that we would try so dangerous, so toxic, so formative to our lives and those of our families. How dare they seek to dismiss something so heinous, to reduce it to the realm of political point scoring. How dare they, Madam Deputy Speaker. I stand here today to say that we will not be bullied out of political engagement. We are going nowhere and we stand and will keep fighting until the evils of anti-Semitism have been removed from our society. There was a meeting in Corbyn's office with Jeremy Corbyn, with senior Jewish members of the Parliamentary Labour Party and myself to try and talk him through the nature of the problem and the potentially powerful role he could have played as someone on the left with a long-standing commitment to the cause of Palestinian human rights. If he has stood up and said, this is how we can speak up on the Middle East without being anti-Semitic. These are the boundaries. These are the lines. This is how we can pursue, you know, what I believe to be a just cause of a Palestinian state without being racist. And it just went in one ear and out the other. Yeah, it was just, it was like talking to a brick wall. Jeremy just said very nothing. And he just comes out with bland statements. You know, I condemn all forms of racism. He he sort of says very broad things in the general, but can't tackle or address the specific. And the lack of kind of empathy or compassion for colleagues who are having a really miserable time was really quite something to see.
there was still a possible way out. If Labour committed itself, as many other organisations had done, to the definition of anti-Semitism together with examples laid out by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, then perhaps a line could be drawn which would repair relations and clarify things for members. The trouble was that Jeremy Corbyn and his closest comrades regarded the definition as being a way of closing down criticism of Israel for its treatment of the Palestinians. So they sought to amend the definition, a decision that some of his biggest supporters came to rue. For me, the regret is not accepting the IRA definition, like immediately, and um, I think qualifying some of the examples. Look, Jeremy has always been pro-Palestine, right? Everyone knows that. And obviously, if there's anything that he's accepting into the Labour Party rulebook that precludes Palestinian people from sort of, I suppose, uh, describing their own experiences of racism, then he's going to be like, hold on a minute, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why do we need to do this? So, of course, there was a reservations, and that was what the reservations were. It wasn't that we didn't want to deal with anti-Semitism. Meeting with Jeremy Corbyn today was a disappointing, missed opportunity regarding the problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. On the sidelines of the row, though still very active, Labour's next leader was clear what he thought. Well, I believe in the full definition. I think you're absolutely right. Councils, institutions across the country have accepted the full definition. I think that's the right position. Uh, to be in. And I think but anything that the shadow Brexit secretary might say had already been overshadowed by a spectacular verbal fight in the Commons. Margaret Hodge. So we were on one endless evenings. We were voting on Brexit. And um, so you're sitting around behind the uh, uh, speaker's chair and you're sitting in the lobby nattering to people. And I was nattering to two young guys who were in a group, sort of an anti-Corbyn group that we were actively thinking of how we could get rid of him quickly. And news came through that he had rejected against the IRA definition. So I absolutely ran right up. And he was sitting on the front bench and I said, I'm going to tell Corbyn that he's an effing anti-Semitic racist. So these two young guys said, go on, Margaret, go for it, you know, and then disappeared. And I said, I'm not going to do it when he's in there. I'm going to wait till he comes out. So I did wait till he came out. And then I approached him. And the last thing I said to myself was to swear, because you undermine the strength of, of the words you say. So I, I called him an anti-Semitic racist. I said he'd make the Labour Party a hostile environment for Jews. Um, uh, Jeremy finds it very difficult, difficult to engage. So um, we had... A um, minute and a half of him saying, telling me to read page 47 recommendation, F.E. And I said, it's not what you write, it's what you do. Uh, and it was going nowhere. He walked off. I must have been a bit shaken. I sort of didn't go in because a couple of the women came up and took me to a little side room, gave me a glass of water. And then I thought, oh, that's it. I've told him what I think. And then I went off to the theatre, switched off my phone, uh, enjoyed the theatre. Uh, came out, switched the phone and went on again and all hell had broken loose. And one of these kind young men who, with whom I talked but who had disappeared before I um, had obviously told, I think, 
uh, told the journalists what what I'd said. And then the next morning, it's a ridiculous story, really, but I had terrible, terrible toothache. So I had to go to the dentist to get myself sort of sorted. And I was lying in the dental chair, but the phone had been going like crazy. So I brought my assistant with me to take the phone messages. And she comes in and says, Luciana's on the phone. And I literally am lying there with my teeth, with my mouth wide open, with him drilling away. And... Um, uh, I said, I can't do it now. And she says, Luciana says it's really important. So I took the call and she says, they're going to expel you. Before any expulsion, though, the case had to be heard. They sent me a letter um, telling me they were initiating disciplinary hearings. Disciplinary hearings that people like John McDonnell were advising would be bad for Labour. Various people said, if I were apologise, they would drop it and I refused to apologise. John McDonnell called. And I got an approach from John McDonnell, um, likewise saying, oh, Margaret, we've known each other, we've been such good friends for such a long time. Uh, isn't there a way through this? But I just refused to give in. For Corbyn's closest supporters, the problem was that the press and public were being fooled. Matt Saab-Cousin. I was speaking to someone about this, and I was trying to explain this, and I was saying to to them, they didn't understand internal Labour politics. They didn't understand factionalism. To the outside person, it's like, well, we've got a Labour MP here saying that the Labour leader has got an anti-Semitism problem, so therefore it must be true. Well, no, what you've got is a member of the Labour right faction saying that a member of the Labour left faction has a problem. It's like someone from a different party saying it, but there is a lot of people in the Labour Party, in the Parliamentary Labour Party, that have political motives are ex extremely deeply political, who will use any issue whatsoever to try to gain an advantage. And in this instance, they used the fight against anti-Jewish racism. I personally think that that is disgusting. I think it's disgusting that anti-Semitism, which is a very serious thing, was used as a political wedge issue to try to undermine the leadership when there is a lot of problems with racism in this country and it was weaponized to the extent that it was. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. But now the press was in full excavation mode. 
the Corbyn past that hadn't seen that salient before now appeared horribly relevant. In August, the Daily Mail ran a story with pictures from a Tunisian cemetery in 2014 under the headline Corbyn's wreath at Munich terrorists' graves. Photos show Labour leader at tribute event for Palestine martyrs, including plotters behind 1972 slaughter of Israeli Olympic athletes. Corbyn's response? I was present when it was laid. I don't think I was actually involved in it. I was there because I wanted to see a fitting memorial to everyone who's died in every terrorist incident everywhere because we have to end it. You cannot pursue peace by a cycle of violence. The only way you pursue peace is a cycle of dialogue. Two weeks later, it got even worse. This time, a recording from 2013 surfaced in which Corbyn, addressing a meeting of the Palestinian Return Centre, had said of British Zionists that... They clearly have two problems. One is they don't want to study history. And secondly, having lived in this country for a very long time, probably all their lives, they don't understand English irony either. Manuel does understand English irony and uses it very, very effectively. So I think they needed two lessons, which we can perhaps help them with. In an interview for The New Statesman, probably the most respected figure in the Jewish community, the former chief rabbi, Lord Sachs, called these remarks the most offensive statement by a senior UK politician since Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. Now, within living memory of the Holocaust, and while Jews are being murdered elsewhere in Europe for being Jews, we have an anti-Semite as the leader of the Labour Party and Her Majesty's opposition. That is why Jews feel so threatened by Mr Corbyn and those who support him. However much the leader's office and Jeremy Corbyn's key allies denied such claims or declared them, as one member of the NEC did, to be orchestrated by the Israeli embassy, the result was a catastrophe. By the autumn, with party conference season approaching, Corbyn was backtracking on the IHRA definition. Or was he? The Labour Party National Executive today did finally adopt not just the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism, but also all of their examples. It was a five-hour meeting. And also... A week later, the conference discussed Palestine. It was during a conference motion to ban the sale of all arms to Israel that delegates started waving Palestine flags, despite the fact that delegates had already been stopped from waving EU flags. According to two sources, these flags have been given out by pro-Corbyn groups, including Momentum, Jewish Voice for Labour and the Palestinian Solidarity Coalition. And Unite had been approached to see if they would support it. I gather they weren't part of any operation on it, but they didn't stop them. And then a delegate gave what one Labour advisor described as a barnstorming speech, setting out the lives of two babies, one born in Gaza and one in Israel. Delegate, your time's up, I'm sorry. Thank My time's not up. I'm speaking for the Palestinian people. I've got a couple more lines and I'm going to say them. And if you want me off this stage, you're going to have to get security up here. And they better send an army, because EastEnders, like Palestinians, don't go down easy. And after all of this, Emily Thornbury was due to give a speech about the need to tackle anti-Semitism within the party. Now, the leader's office knew what she was about to say. As with all shadow ministerial speeches, they had been given advance sight of it, and it had come back to her without any changes. My sources believe that rather than preventing her from giving the speech, the environment had been deliberately set up to make it hostile for her. 
In December 2018, there was another incident involving Emily Thornberry. This time, the leader's office believed that she was dragging her heels on criticising Donald Trump's decision to relocate the US embassy to Jerusalem. Her team denied that was the case, but either way, her card was marked and she was taken off Deputy PMQ's duty shortly afterwards. At the end of May 2019, 14 months after Luciana Berger had been sent the old Corbyn Facebook comment about the anti-Semitic mural, the Equality and Human Rights Commission announced that it was launching an official inquiry under Section 20 of the Equality Act 2006 into anti-Jewish discrimination in the Labour Party. It was one kind of disaster. The doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong again. The people who bet against Britain are going to lose their shirts. To be followed by another. In the improbable and dishevelled guise of the member for Uxbridge, the Conservatives were finally getting their Brexit act together. And figuratively, if not literally, let us send Jeremy Corbyn into orbit where he belongs. Conference, let's get Brexit done and let's bring this country together. Thank you very much. Coming up in Eight Years Hard Labour, the revolution defeated. Eight Years Hard Labour was written and reported by me, David Aronovich. Additional reporting was by Kat Nealon. It was produced by Valerio Esposito, sound design and original music by Tom Kinsella. Artwork by John Hill, the editor was Jasper Corbett. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.